Welcome to Decision Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a Digital Pedagogy and Media Specialist and part of the MBA Design Team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how they make decisions and why decision-making is fundamental to business performance and success. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. In this episode, we will be tackling the individual influences on decision-making, such as your attitudes, beliefs, biases, and past experiences. Your approach to decision-making can shape the process and therefore the decision itself. Nia Yari Giam, Jaganba, Na Gayabu, Yarawa peoples, Nia Toowoomba. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. Creative director Nick Pritchard owns an award-winning advertising agency with a difference. It's named after him. The agency Nick Did This is a quirky model of its owner's personality. With 28 staff who live and breathe the Nick Did This mentality, Nick Pritchard is very aware of himself, his background and his individuality and how that influences his decisions and his company's direction. Nick, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Nick, can you tell the listeners just a a really brief um, description of your background, where you went to university and how you sort of came to where you are now with Nick Did This? Uh, Certainly. I'll give you the short form version. Uh, Went to Queensland College of Art and did a fine art degree in printmaking and ceramics. Was a practising artist, had a few shows around the country, uh, went overseas to follow love and a career, didn't work, came back, uh, got into advertising, did six months free work experience to get my first job, ended up having a, uh, a great stint at some of the good agencies, the big agencies in town. My moral compass went completely crazy when I worked out how big international agencies tick, so I set up my own agency called Dakota, had that for 11 years, sold that, set this one up, have had this one for seven years. Nick, fantastic short bio there. <laughs> Thanks very much. Nick, this show is about um, a significant decision that uh, you've made in your business life and just working through the narrative of how that decision was made, why it was made and what sort, what you've learned from that decision, what outcomes there were. What have you bought to share with us today? Uh, well, I've got a choice of two, so you get to pick. Uh, there is the um, the a massive decision that I mentioned just before, where I decided to live, uh, to leave, sorry, working for um, other agencies and set up my own. Or there is a major decision that was just made uh, three probably three or four days ago, which is going to re-steer the whole focus of this agency. Wow. So then or now? <laughs> Nick, let's let's talk about now. We're right in the midst of your major decision that you're making about Nick did this. Walk me through that. How did, how did it start? What was the trigger? Uh, the trigger was actually a conversation with a, uh, a good friend who was also an employee who really um, was brave to have a, a really critical conversation with me to call me out on what I had said I was setting out to achieve with this business and what my behaviours and biases were actually uh, creating instead. And uh, it was a, a, a monumental catalytic moment that, uh, that really made me 
take the time over the Christmas break to refocus and reassess absolutely everything and make a major decision for the business, uh, which was announced to all staff last week, mid last week. Whoa. So uh, hold up here. What you're saying is that one of your employees came to you and said, Nick, you're not doing what you said you would. Um, This is all a little bit wrong, a little bit rubbish. You know, you need to change your ways. And you listened? I did. I did. It is, um, it's amazing when obviously everything aligns and you actually do have uh, the opportunity to um, be called out and to be held accountable. And uh, I think as a business owner it's, um, and as a boss, it's really easy to, you know, when you're in the job of selling like I am, it's really easy to, to drink your own Kool-Aid. And, uh, and I, I am unbelievably grateful that uh, the person within the organisation whose nickname is Jiminy Cricket uh, was brave enough because obviously it would put her role at risk as well with, you know, beginning this, this um, refocus and realignment of why um, she and everyone else decided to join me on this journey in the first place. Before we dive into the decision, I just want to ask you a little bit about the business and its culture and what you think makes a culture in, in your business that where the employee feels that they can come forward and talk to you like that. Mm. Culture is, uh, you can't teach culture. Culture actually has to be something that is authentic and real in an organisation. And I've spent my whole career always trying to make sure that I build environments, whether it's been um, with my own businesses or for other organisations that I've worked within, to build a very safe space for people to feel respected and to be able to have a voice. And uh, in theory, that's fantastic. But when you actually overlay all of the other complexities of business, such as targets, unhappy clients that you can't control, life, COVID, all of these different layers that come down on top of you, having that safe space can sometimes be compromised. And, uh, you know, in the end of the day, there is an easy out for leaders to say, but it's all about money. It's all about keeping the business running. And uh, what I've always um, really kept at a focus is it's actually not about the money, it's about the people. And, um, and as you know, I'm first to put my hand up and say, I've made some massive mistakes and misjudgments, but everyone who works here knows that I actually have a, a really pure intent about what I want to create this as in the space, the ability for me to attract like-minded people. Um, if you're not a, a Nick did this person, you actually don't last very long. You usually self-select out pretty quickly. But uh, I feel that um, the culture here has always been one of openness and, uh, you know, but again, when times get tough, I really appreciate that, um, that people still, and one person in particular, took the risk and um, really threw a cat amongst the pigeons. So how did you approach the decision that you're in the midst of right now? Uh, once once um, I had been exposed. And I don't mean, and again, the reason why I feel that this was the most, the biggest gift that someone could give me was I knew the intent that it was being given wasn't out of um, personal gain. It was truly a pure intent. So it actually allowed me to, um, to sit back and just reflect 
And uh, I'm famous for having the world's biggest post-it notepads. Literally, they're about a meter square. And um, and so I locked myself away over Christmas and mind mapped, documented, cut up small pieces of paper that represented the different moving parts of my business and literally played the most insane game of Connect Four or, or Jenga and just started to move these pieces around until it felt right. And the other thing I did was I stopped seeking other people's approval because as a leader, again, sometimes one of the misjudgments that I've made is um, making decisions by asking everyone else's opinion and just going around in circles and forgetting what my role and responsibility is as as leader here. So it was a, a pretty intense process and it, I actually had to come back to it. Um, luckily, I had the space to leave it out on the table and try not to panic and actually look at it not as trying to solve a problem, but to actually bring the pieces together to feel like it was back on track. Again, I'm, I'm not a numbers person. Ask anyone. I'm literally, I think the most famous saying I've always had is I'm never going to be a rich man because I don't actually care about the profit of the business. It's all about trying to just make sure that it feels right because I've trusted my gut my whole life. And again, too, there's no, just because now I own a business and a, a decent sized business, it doesn't mean that those methodologies that work for me don't continue to be the best tools that I've got to, um, to make some really, really powerful but good decisions. I was going to say that you say you're not that interested in the profit. A lot of times when these sorts of things are done in businesses, people get together, put the post-it notes on the table. They have an aim of increasing the size of the business, doing a merger, trying to increase income, increase sales. What are you trying to do here with this decision? I am trying to honour my desire which is which was where my whole goal of a desire um, to create a legacy, which is a opportunity for the smartest minds and the the most um, eager talent to get together and to work on projects, solve problems, and I, and really bring ideas to life for our clients that are actively going to create positive change, whether that be inside an organisation, within a community, or just in general. So again, it's, you know, it is really easy to lose focus on something like that because it's actually um, not about just doing not-for-profit work or picking the easy targets. It's, it's the risk of really trying to identify and make positive change. Uh, in, in so many different ways. And it's, it's, it takes a special type of person to want to sign up to that as well because, you know, I'm very, I'm very honest it's, um, with my team. Um, this is not the agency to come to if you are just about wanting to win, a, win awards and further your career. This is a stepping stone for you to um, spend some time um, on your journey and leave knowing and feeling that you have actively creative positive change. And that is really going back to why you started the agency in the first place. It is. I um, Having worked at some of the big agencies, my role, even though I was traditionally a art director or a creative director, um, my role uh, 
even though it didn't have a title, was a bit more of a client conduit. So I was always in the client's offices as much as I was in the agency's offices. And so I always became quite close and, um, and quite friendly with the, with the clients that we were doing some great work for. But when I realised that the hard-earned cash that clients put into campaigns, how much of that actually needs, usually by necessity, to feed a giant machine of an agency... And the agencies who have to provide certain, you know, monthly or quarterly targets to a big faceless organisation overseas, the big multinationals is, why why isn't it more about um, doing the right job rather than how can we make as much money out of the job? And, uh, And that just really ups, I just, I'm pretty basic when it comes to just don't lie. And just try and do the right thing. <laughs> so, so, again, um, I decided to um, one incident in particular really um, called um, called for me to resign. On again, I always call it my moral compass spinning out of control. So you're you're bringing it back to a purpose, which can be you know defined as you know a reason for doing the job. Right? It could be because that that quarterly that quarterly um, achievement in terms of dollars is not really the reason for doing the job. I mean, we will have to make money, but that's not. You don't sort of go to most people. I would think don't go to work to achieve a quarterly goal. No, but I I, I feel that every organisation is different. And it's, you know, I'm not saying my way is right, but my way is right for me and for me to be a great leader and for which I'm always learning new ways of doing that and for me to create the space where my agencies, I really want not only the work that we do to be spoken about in the future, but I want everybody to look back and go, geez, we did some good stuff. You know, God, I made a change. God, I helped solve this when I worked with, you know, with those other smart peeps that Nick did this or Dakota or one of the other agencies or whatever, whatever this evolves into. It still has to be, it still has to be run like a business. And that's why it's about still having those with the best intent who have amazing skills at finance, at production. So it isn't just, you know, there's a bunch of hippies sitting around, you know, contemplating our navels and trying to <laughs> create world peace. But, um, but I feel that um, you can still create an amazing alignment in purpose and still run a very effective business. Nick, you spoke about intuition as being something that you've always used uh, in your career. But within this decision, have you used evidence, information or data? How have you used those things to influence? Yep. So I'm a big believer in, um, we call it in, in the way that we describe how we solve problems for clients. It's, a, it's the perfect um, a catalytic moment when science and magic hit. It's kind of like imagine Disney and McKisney having a child. That's, <laughs> kind of the, that's kind of the moment that I love. So part of my process was really documenting down what I did know, what were the unmovable factors that were going to influence my decision to make sure that I was still setting up the business for success. And those are the type of things that literally, which is how much is in the bank account? Uh, What's in the pipeline? What clients, uh, client work have we got that we are working on that we know is 20% possible, 50% possible or guaranteed? How many people do I actually need to bring my, my vision to life? 
uh, what's COVID done not just to clients but to consumers? So which clients potentially might think that they're going to be doing work in 2021, but really there's too much of a risk and I can't count on that coming through. So when you take all of the the known unmovable facts, the science, and then I kind of look at that, assess the risk or the opportunity and go, now this is what I want to do. How am I going to do it? How many people do I need um, to actually do it? And what's the process that I need to go through to still be legally compliant, to still be a trusted advisor to our clients, to still make sure that uh, my staff, you know, the people who work with me um, have a paycheck at the end of the day. Again, it's that balancing act, but you do need to actually look at every single lens you can to make the right decision, not just gut. Do you think that when you combine those things, that's sort of the definition of being strategic? I do. I think a lot of, um, a lot of um, there's a bit of misunderstanding about what strategic actually is, what strategy is. Strategy isn't just based on fact. Strategy is just having the ability to assess all of the moving parts and put it, put those little parts together like cogs in a machine to have a streamlined output to keep going. So again, strategy, look, anything can actually be called a strategy. But I, I feel in um, if when you are a leader or an owner of a business, you really need to make sure that you do due diligence and look at all of the parts of the strategy. So some of those parts are finances and and some of them are clients and, and so forth and, and, you know, the size of the business, how many people are there. But, but some of them you're saying are also the goodwill, the emotions, the happiness of your staff, the happiness of yourself. Yep. The, um, for me, they are the, the, there's, there's some key pillars here. There is how can I create a moment in time for myself and those who work with me and the clients who work with us Go to bed every night, no matter how much of a shitty day you've had, and still understand, see, and experience what it feels like to know that you're doing something good. Uh, you know, there are the pillars that are, what does my gut still say? Like, what do I want out of it? How can I make sure that as leader that my cup is being filled? Because in this industry, you're filling a heap of other people's cups all of the time. So, you know, how is it that... Um, how is it more than just a paycheck? Though another pillar is a paycheck. How do you make sure that you still have the ability to, to live to make sure, again, that you are healthy, you are happy, you have a sense of security so you can be your best when you come to work? You're in the midst of the decision at the moment, so you probably don't have an impact and certainly not a final impact, but what are you looking for? What, are the, what is the change that you want the change is the exhale that I'm looking for. Like I, I've had it um, in coming up with a, a plan that was presented loosely to my people. Um, now I'm doing the due diligence to work out exactly how that plan comes to life. And then the, you know, the, other, um, the other things that will fall out of that is what type of clients does that actually then start to attract? What type of work do we actually say goodbye to and be brave in doing that to um, to make room for the clients that are naturally going to gravitate towards a, a place and a bunch of people who um, who they know and who they um, can see the the results of, of of programs or projects or campaigns or 
whatever in the past and um, and take the punt and um, and move over here for, with us. It's a very tricky position you're in um, with Nick did this at the moment in a position where you're going to have to let go of some clients potentially um, to get the work that you want to do on board, but you probably can't do that all at once without the business falling over. So th- there's some sort of plan you're going to have to make. <laughs> so this is the tricky. This is okay. This is the tricky thing, but this is the pretty amazing thing about this business. Whenever something like this has happened in the past, just yeah, when when I've looked at just the the fine tuning or a decision has to be made, something good as as soon as you're brave enough to make space, something good fills it pretty quickly. Now, there's no science behind that, and part of my again, don't ever ask to see a business plan because I've actually never written a business plan in my whole life. But um, there is something just about knowing you're doing the right thing. And in the end of the day, whether you believe in esoteric um, ways of divining futures or um, just the science or, you know, good old taking a punt or a risk, the one truth that I know and that I have, I have seen prove itself time and time again in my, throughout my whole career is good things happen to good people. And if you can be a leader and lead with integrity, authority, still make tough decisions, but with always the best intent, you are always going to attract similar people who want to um, work with you from a employment perspective, but you're also going to get the right, the right type of clients that are attracted to you as well. And I feel that with, um, with what um, the last you know, 12 months have done, that, that COVID has put us all through, we are sensing and experiencing a little bit more of a, a a bit of a movement with clients who, again, are going, the world's going to shit. And some some of us have to actually do something to try and remedy this, even if it's in a tiny way. And uh, it, there's, it, I, I feel that that is only going to get stronger and stronger. And uh, it's, uh, uh, for me, it it basically then gives gives my my guys and myself the perfect opportunity to do what we really want to do. That piece of time for all of us was really a bit of a clarion call, wasn't it? It was. It was. I think it was the um, the ultimate wake up call. And you know, I think that we are all um, as humans reassessing what's important. And time is now more important than ever before. And security isn't based just on. Um, what car you drive or how much money you've got in the bank, it's on your health. And, you know, so I think that there's just these, this redefining of, of factors that are going to affect us as humans. And you've got to remember, humans are, are in control of every decision that a business makes. So it's whether it's what your consumers or your customers are telling you what they want or what those within positions of influence within organisations, what they're looking for um, as well. So, you know, I I feel that is it a risk? No, it's not. I'm reading the signs and I feel that there is massive opportunity to really deliver exceptional brand marketing, internal communication, you know, using all of the science, using all of the skills that all of my team have, but actually just focusing it on those who have a, a shared purpose. It's a little bit of psychology and a little bit of the sort of ideal relationship you're, you're looking at with your team there. You're sort of saying, 
you know, we want to do this thing. We're not, that thing isn't increasing profits. That thing is making us um, doing the right jobs. Exactly. And when I told them that I was lowering my, my, um, my target for, 20, for the 2021, 22, everyone nearly fell off their chair. But it's like, we don't need it. What do we need all of that profit for? I mean, that you still need, oh, look, I'm not an idiot. We still need to make profit. You know, we still need, we got through COVID relatively untouched because we had a big stash of cash in the bank. And, you know, and my personal belief too, that um, I'll never have a debt. Like I'll never get a loan for the business. So, you know, I, I completely understand the, um, the, the business acumen that is needed to run this place. But, um, you know, it is all about how do we actually get the balance right? Because no one wants to work in a sweatshop and just bust their gut to make someone else rich. Well, not my type of people. Uh, no one wants to work in a airy-fairy, um, really loose organisation that has the best intention but not the skills or the, um, the financial means to actually do a job properly. And we still need to be known. We still need to make sure that every job we do, because we're on no contract with any client, so we need to make sure that every single job that we do is better than the last. So, you know, it's still the same principles of any business we just i suppose put a little bit of different weighting behind the the different parts that make the whole well it's a really interesting way to think about it that it's just about where the the majority of the weight goes and what you want to achieve it is and it it comes down to to i think understanding too that it's not about fixing things in place and never fine-tuning or tweaking them you know i look at all of the the main influences in the business as levers and, you know, I'll pull this one up a little bit and then something will happen And because, you know, we need to stay nimble. So, again, it's just constantly feeling and watching and learning and really fine-tuning that machine and those levers continually throughout the life of the business. What are you learning right now as you go through this process? Um, I am learning that it is 100% a proven truth that if you have the best intention and you have authentic and transparent conversations and relationships with your clients, that they will stand by you and they will back you and they will always find a way to support you and work with you. And that goes with um, your people as well. Um, it also, though, does make you really assess how much wastage you actually um, a business actually um, has to deal with, whether that be wastage of time, wastage of money or wastage, wastage of assets. There is, a, a again, when you start to look at how do I fine-tune this, uh, you really begin to understand what you control, what you don't control, and that everything needs to be assessed, not just part of it. Nick, we're going to move now into some questions that are particularly related to this week of learning in the MBA, where we're looking at the decision maker's ability to make rational or optimal decisions. Um, and we're also considering this in uh, the aspect of a leader's own personal approach to leadership. Uh, so your own background and how that influences your rationality or the optimal decision making. What sorts of individual factors um, do you think influence the decision making process from your perspective of yourself? Uh, the, my personal journey probably plays the biggest influence in the way that I um, make decisions uh, 
uh, about my business and the way that I lead. Uh, I lived on the streets when I was very young and started from nothing and realized very quickly that you only had to be a really good person and try your hardest to do your best and do good by other people, um, that there was real currency in that. And uh, it also meant that I learned to be unbelievably thrifty as well. So uh, being able to start a business or make do with what you have. And uh, those two things probably are fundamentally the way that I have always looked at, um, at my business about how can I do this with what I've got and use that intuition that my, my life has actually helped me really refine and hone um, as I've gotten older. Do you see biases in yourself or do others see them in you when you're making um, decisions at work? Yeah, 100%. So, and again, this, this is where it's always great to have a, an open and trusting and safe space and relationship with people within your business who aren't just going to tell you what you want to hear. Uh, it is good. There is nothing wrong with robust conversations. Myself, I've spent my life trying to please people. And sometimes when you cross over from how that comes to life in, um, in your personal um, situation into a work situation, it sometimes means that I've been taking on too much at work or giving away too much, which again is counterintuitive to running a business. So, you know, it is a, um, an opportunity to, as you get older, I suppose, to, to, to really reassess and not, nothing's ever wrong. It's, you know, I don't believe there's anything, um, I don't believe any mistake is a mistake if you actually take the time to, 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 to reflect and learn something from it. Then it's just part of the journey. Do you think from a cognitive aspect that, you know, a leader has to be, has to have an MBA, has to... Um, read books about how to manage staff, has to know about data science and how to interpret market forces and so forth to make good decisions? Um, okay, so I'm going to let you in on a secret. I'm that person that when we could fly, we'd go to the airport bookstore and buy every single book of Simon Sinek's, of Alan Fish. Like I would literally go and buy every book that there was on leadership, on um, you know, effective management, all of that stuff. And I never read one of them. <laughs> I'd always just, but I'd always feel like I had to buy it. And oh. um, look, everyone is different. You know, there are some people who consume others' opinions and advice and can, you know, understand how to make that their own and be influenced by that. Because you can't just repeat, you can't read a book. That doesn't, tell, you know, that, that's someone else's journey, not yours. But I do believe that if you surround yourself with the right people and with really smart people, you don't have to be able to do everything. I don't have an MBA, you know. I don't have. Um, I did a fine art degree. That's all I've ever. That's all I've got in my armory, and I failed at high school. So um, it's like. Um, but I've always looked to hire people smarter than me in different ways. So I think that's the secret. So, so they're good at things that you're maybe not so good at. Exactly. And we all find our place. What, what do you think, though, a fine art degree brings to you and your problem-solving skills now? Uh, attention to detail, uh, appreciation of craft, and that is a dying art in, in, in you know, um, brand and marketing and communications. I think we're, you know, we, we're probably the last of, of the paper-loving agencies 
um, in Queensland who still print a lot of beautiful pieces for our clients and not just uh, consumed with digital because it's, yeah, sometimes digital is 100% the right way to go, but we're still humans. We still love kinesthetic design. We still touch and feel when it's relevant. It also taught me to sit, (laughs) don't laugh, sit back and squint when you are looking at a piece of design when you're doing it. Because as an artist, you kind of have to, you know, you go in for the detail and then you have to stand back and just slightly look at how does a negative space work there? How does the colours, you know, contrast or blend? And um, that's what I still do when I'm in front of the computer on the tools on designing a letter, you know, like it's, it is those fine art sensibilities come in very handy. Is there something in fine art too about communication and interpretation? I think it gives you a when you when you do do a fine art degree, it is a, a it is a, a and you, if you do get a chance to have a few exhibitions after, it is a great leveler that even though you might put 120 hours into a piece of art and think it's the best thing since sliced bread, uh, it is still open to opinion and it does not guarantee. So your input does not guarantee success. So again, it is always, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, well, whatever we do, we're never going to please everybody. But what do we know about those that we need to please the most or um, communicate with the most or get an action out of those that we, you know, that, that are going to be the biggest influence? What do we know about them? And then how does that go into my palette? How does that go into my story? How does that go into my intent to um, to make sure that we're giving every piece the best opportunity to do its job properly. Is there a need, do you think, knowing yourself well, to mitigate uh, your personality, to try and um, adjust for the influences that you have yourself when you're making a decision? Yeah, I think that there is. I'm learning more and more about um, the need to not change who I am but to make sure that I am always respectful of the situation or the decision that has to be made and actively take a moment to very quickly reflect and try and make the best decision possible. You know, I'm covered in tattoos, for instance, like both arms or full chest, everything. There is, I used to be the person that would wear a long sleeve button up shirt and almost hide part of me when I would go to a new business meeting out of fear, feeling that I was going to be judged, that they wouldn't want to work with someone covered in tattoos because it said something about it, you know. They would create this unconscious bias in them to, um, to treat me differently. And then as I got older, I realised that that factor, for instance, doesn't matter because if someone is going to judge me for having tattoos... That isn't the type of person that I will ever be able to, to, to deliver great work for. So do I have to change myself? I don't think it's changing myself, but I do think you always have to be aware of yourself as well. How can you take advantage, flipping that idea of mitigating, how can you take advantage of who you are as a leader in your own background? Oh, I think it, I don't think it's, oh, I don't, I wouldn't say it's about understanding how to take advantage. I just know how good it feels and how success follows when you are authentically you. Um, I'm not the type of person who will, I don't have tactics or 
Um, I really try not to rehearse, for instance, for something to try and give myself an advantage. Um, I feel that me being me and the type of person I am is, well, that's the best that I'm ever, you know, that, that's what I've got now. That's the best I am right now. So just go with it. Again, I feel like so much of what you're saying is about the ideal relationship, you know, got romantic relationship, a relationship between family or relationship, as you say, businesses are made of people. So you're talking about being truthful. You're talking about not keeping, uh, not keeping secrets. You know, you're talking, you're talking about sharing everything with, with everybody in your business. You're letting them have equal footing in terms of a decision, not final say, you're the leader, but but they get input and they feel like they're heard. It's this really good relationship. And and, and that's it. And so the, um, and we've actually rolled out quite a few culture programs for clients over the years where we've been really excited about the opportunity um, to answer a brief about creating really open t- a two-way dialogues between either customers and a client or um, employees and um, head office. And those that truly deliver on it go from strength to strength. But those who go through the process with no intent of actually creating any change or doing anything with that information are the ones that just fail and fail and fail again. Large organisations are still made up of until the fourth revolution actually hits full on and none of us are actually working anymore, um, we're, we've all been superseded, every day, every decision is made by a human being. That human being is, has got a gazillion and one influences that is going to enhance or corrupt their decision based on moments in their life that are completely non-business related and completely out of anyone else's control. So it is, it's like playing chess. But I believe that if you can build a culture that is fundamentally has pillars of transparency, of authenticity, of open dialogue, belief that a good idea can come from anywhere with a little splash of healthy ego, just not, you know, bad ego. Um, I think that's where you can, you can make sure that a, an organisation is actually living and breathing a amazing experience to work there and in their decision-making processes, which in turn will allow them to deliver exceptional service of the same quality to their customers. So I, I just feel that you just have to man up or woman up and be authentically you and try and build a space that allows everyone else to, to authentically be them. Do you have a statement on the wall that reminds you why you're going into work every day? Uh, I, I don't, I have a bit of a, a bit of a mantra. I always believe, and I always say that good things happen to good people. Everyone can read into that what they, they want. All of my guys, I'm sure have a different interpretation of what being a good person actually is. But, you know, that's, I just, that's how I live my life is because in the end of the day, that's all we have in our personal life, in our work life, in how we actually help create and form amazing relationships with our peers, with clients, with customers that you've never met. If you just work out and see the value in being a good person means good things are going to happen. I reckon it solves so many problems, business and personal. Is it hard to be good, Nick? Uh, it's, 
easy to be bad, I would say. Um, again, the uh, life is really complex and there are things that just get thrown at you that are out of your control that you're blindsided by. And we're all, we're all very emotive beings. But, you know, I think it is that it, we're coming of the age, um, and I think, again, COVID has done this, is we just have to check ourselves all the time and ask ourselves, is this the right thing to do? And, and that's why I feel that more than ever, my gut says we are going to see a lot more human-centred design processes in creating business decisions and outcomes because we are really ripping the Band-Aid off and being stripped away from all of this artifice that we've literally built around us in our personal lives and in our work lives. And I just feel that this is, this is the time when if we can lean in and just be a good leader and make decisions that actually are for the benefit. It doesn't stop you owning a business and still specialising in something very, very specific. But the core fundamentals of being a good person have proven to me that I've run two, and I, I, I believe, really successful businesses with nothing more than just always trying to keep that top of mind, make decisions that are not going to be unbelievably detrimental to anyone. Don't make spiteful decisions. Don't try and hoodwink or lie to people. How, how do your clients feel about that mantra and, and do they know about it? Do they recognise it? I think they experience it. Weird sort of mean we don't have it on a wall. Like I don't, I think it's like, it's not one of those things that you have to commit to paper. I believe that uh, our clients that get the best out of us are the ones who appreciate, trust us, um, have faith in us, are honest with budgets. Don't try and stuff us around and let us do our job because they know that we are doing it with the best intention. They're the clients that we get the best results for. If they don't, we resign them because there's no, as soon as it starts to go south, you can never get it back. And again, you know, we, we've resigned um, large, very, very large clients over the years because they just treated us like trash. And so how do you expect to get the best out of somebody when you're just treating them so poorly? So that's, they're not the type of clients that, um, that will ever experience um, success because they're just, you know, they're not starting with the fundamentals. So I think it is an ex- it's, an, it's something to be experienced. If you started to go out and tell everybody, um, good things happen to good people, good things happen to good people, good things happen, that's just suddenly rhetoric. You've got to deliver it. It's, it has to be lived, not laminated. Lived, not laminated. Nick, I've enjoyed this conversation far too much. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, thanks so much for your time. Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.